a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to be turning to Luke chapter 9, please. A couple of weeks ago, uh, John spoke about the local church and uh, he quoted uh, from Bill Hybel's book, Courageous Leadership, where he writes that the local church is the hope of the world. And it's true, it is, it's God's plan. And uh, we didn't quite plan it like this. But I'm expecting that uh, much of what I say this morning will, I trust, build on what John said a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't here. Uh, I was uh, preaching elsewhere. But I have listened to the, uh, the download, which you can always do if you miss a Sunday. And it was uh, good to do that. And uh, I'm expecting that what we look at this morning, I trust, will add to what John said and uh, uh, enlarge our understanding of, of that subject. So why don't we pray and we'll see what God has for us from uh, Luke 9. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. We want to say again we love you and we love your words. And we pray now as we spend these moments looking at it together that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Help us to understand what we read. And Lord, apply it to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we looked at the first part of Luke chapter 9, where Jesus gathers the twelve to him and then sends them out. And uh, they get to go out on their first ministry trip on their own. And he gives them some certain instructions that you will recall if you were uh, here last week. And then we're going to pick up this morning at verse 10 of Luke chapter 9. So Jesus called the twelve to him, gave them some instructions, sent them out, and now they have returned. So this is Luke 9, verse 10. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About five thousand men were there. But he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So, as we've said, this is a continuation of what we looked at last week and clearly the disciples come back and they're buzzing about it they're they're excited they've been out on their first ministry trip and they want to come back and tell Jesus everything that happened and you can imagine it can't you You they've they've been out they have a fantastic time they want to come back and share with the Lord 
you know, well, it worked. You can imagine them saying, you know, what you said to do, we did. And it worked. And they're excited probably as to what's happened. And so Jesus, keen to hear from them and to hear about what happened when they went out, takes them off. And uh, we're told that he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So the plan is that Jesus gets some time with them on his own. They get to share about their experience. Jesus probably gets back, to, uh, is able to, uh, to feed back to them, to teach them some more, to encourage them, to get them ready for the next time that he sends them out. And uh, they're looking forward to being with Jesus and telling him stories of what happened as they went. At least that's the plan. But we see, and you'll see if you've got your Bible open in front of you, in verse 11, that the crowds learn about it and follow. So what was planned to be a nice, quiet retreat, Jesus and the disciples, sharing some stories and being able to teach into that, suddenly everything changes when the crowds arrive. And uh, as is typical with Jesus, when we're talking crowds, we're not just talking 20 or 30 people, we're talking numbers of thousands that are following Jesus and wanting to hear from him. So I wonder what would you do (coughs) if you were Jesus? Would you send them away and say, no, no, I'm sorry, I've got some time out with the guys now, I need to, to spend some time with the disciples, you'll have to come back another day. Would you sort of reschedule a meeting? Would you try and rearrange it? Or how would you handle it? What would you do? Well, Jesus does four things. He welcomes them, he teaches them, he heals them, and he feeds them. So the first thing Jesus does is he welcomes them. When the crowds find him, that's the first thing Jesus does. He opens his arms, effectively, and welcomes them. Even though they were interrupting his schedule, even though the plan was now going to change from what the disciples thought was going to happen, he welcomes them. He's pleased to see them. And we know that even in crowds, Jesus saw individuals. Now, when you see a crowd, it's very easy just to see a great mass, isn't it? And you're not to pick out individual people, but just as a mass of moving humanity. What Jesus sees are individual people, individuals that he knows, individuals he loves, individuals he cares about, individuals whose lives need to be impacted by meeting him. Luke doesn't tell us the reaction of the disciples. I mean, going by what happened when some children wanted to hang out with Jesus and how disciples sort of shooed them away, you can imagine them, I mean, the script doesn't tell us this, but you can imagine them, disciples thinking, that's not the plan. You know, they were being frustrated as to what's happening here. But whether that happened like that or not, Jesus is clear. He's going to welcome the crowds and spend time with them. Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now you might wonder why I've made so much of this. Well, it's for this reason. If we understand well that Jesus welcomed people, then I would suggest that we would do the same in welcoming people as well. Even if our schedule needs to be changed, 
while our plans go somewhere out the window or need to be rethought through, Jesus was prepared to welcome the crowds. I wonder, as a church, what are we like at welcoming people? See, I want Jubilee, and I'm sure you do as well, to be a really welcoming church. If you like, you can say amen at that. Oh, honestly, excellent. There's still some life here. That's good. I want Jubilee to be a really welcoming church, full of people that actually love to welcome people. And love to welcome people in. Now, I'm very aware that there are all sorts of areas that we might not be the best at. Now, you might say, well, yeah, you can start with preaching, and you might be right. We may not have the best preaching. We may not have a swaying choir in robes a matching. We may not have the greatest resource kids work with different groups for every age and lots of rooms and things for them to do. We probably do have the comfiest chairs, actually. I think we probably probably win on that one. But listen, one thing we really can be, and I guarantee this, is the most welcoming church in the city. Because we can. We really can. If If we want to be, we really can. Not that we're trying to outdo others, because we've got lots of friends in other churches who love Jesus, and would want to be equally welcoming as well. But listen, I think we can be the most welcoming church in the city. Are you up for that? A bit of a challenge there, but you know, I think we can be. You know, it shocks me to hear stories of people visiting churches and no one speaks to them. Now, I'm not sure if we have any visitors in this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to identify yourselves. If you are, I don't want to embarrass you, but I wonder how it might be if somebody's here for the first time. It's a test now, isn't it? I've put this challenge out. They really are going to think, well, is this a welcoming bunch of people or not? Well, I hope we are. Not just because I think it might be a good idea, but because Jesus welcomed people, and so should we. Now, we're not perfect, and we get it wrong countless times, and I get it wrong countless times, and sometimes I think, Oh, I'm not sure about speaking to somebody I don't know. I don't know what to say. I get tongue-tied. You know, what, what if they don't like me? What if it, you know, you know? And I think all these things go around in my head. And sometimes I have to sort of walk out of the room and then walk back again thinking I'm going to speak to that person now and sort of get over my hesitation or nervousness. Maybe you're like that as well. And sometimes we get it wrong and we miss people. I understand that. But generally speaking, I think we're quite good at this. But I think we could be better. You see, I do hear good stories of people being welcomed, and enthusiastically so. And we have a great welcome team. And they make, uh, you know, they do their job well, and they, they make this environment a welcoming place, we trust. But listen, we can't subcontract this just to people who happen to have a green badge on that says welcome team. Actually, it's for all of us. And whilst there might be a few individuals that are particularly happy, smiley people that are great at speaking to visitors, and we say, hey, how about being on our welcome team because you're good at this? Actually, it's for all of us to be welcoming and friendly and open our arms and lives to people that are looking in. So actually it's for all of us to look out for somebody who may be here for the first time. Speak to them. Introduce them to your friends. 
get them along to your small group, have them over for lunch, whatever it might be for you. Research shows that the reason people stay in churches actually isn't just down to the preaching or the worship or the coffee or the chairs. But actually it's because they make friends. It's because they get to know people and build relationships. And so actually we can all make a difference in that. Are you up for that? Does that sound does that sound good? And actually, it's not just about Sunday either. In this whole theme of hospitality, which I guess this would come under, it's a theme that runs throughout the Bible, isn't just about a Sunday meeting. We're told in Acts 2 that the early church broke bread in their homes and ate together with sincere hearts. And I want to encourage all of us to be the most friendliest, hospitable church around. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sometimes we can think, well, no, I should do. But no, no, Peter says, do it without grumbling. Paul says in Romans 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. In fact, being hospitable is a requirement for leadership that Paul gives to both Timothy and to Titus. So have people over for food. Open up your home. And what do you do if you get together with friends? You probably have them over for some food. Jesus spent a whole load of time with people over meals. It's a really good way of getting to know people. And it's a natural thing that we do with our friends as well. So I want to encourage us, have people over for meals. Let's be opening up our homes, being hospitable. And listen, it doesn't have to be a gourmet, come dine with me experience. That can be, if you like, but sometimes we think, oh, <clears throat> we can put ourselves under pressure thinking, I've got to do the sort of most elaborate food, the sort of thing we wouldn't normally have, but because people are coming, we have to get, you know, go the extra mile. Well, sometimes it's fun to do that, and you might like to do that, and that's okay. But listen, being hospitable isn't about that. Being hospitable is saying to somebody, listen, if, if I'm cooking, in my case, it's saying, listen, we're having tuna and pasta. Probably burnt. But we're having tuna and pasta. Why don't you come and join us? It isn't about the quality of the food. It's about the quality of what's in our heart. It's about opening our home. So it's setting another place at the table, getting an extra chair in and saying, hey, do you want to come over for some food? I remember some years ago uh, going to a, uh, a student's, uh, I don't think even, it wasn't even a house, it was a halls of residence, I think who said to us, why don't come over for some food? And we did, and it was a, in, a, in a student's halls of residence, I think, and it was probably a, a typical student meal, so probably tuna and pasta, or something similar, I'd imagine. But that was fine, it didn't matter. The issue is they'd opened up their home, or their space, and invited us in. So those of us that God has blessed with our own home, or own space in a home, if we're sharing houses may be, then let's open it up to people. I think we've gone through, if, I, if I'm honest, I think as a church, we've gone through peaks and troughs on this. There have been some times when we've been really good at it, and sometimes I think we let it slip sometimes. And so the challenge I want to issue to us this morning, we include it, so all of us, is let's be hospitable. Let's be opening up our home, making friends, having people over, 
sharing not just food together, but sharing our lives together as we seek to build a community that loves Jesus and wants to follow him together. Does that sound good? You up for that? I'm guessing for that point, it doesn't need a ministry time. It probably just needs a diary and an invitation. And so uh, I want to encourage us, let's really go for these things. So Jesus welcomes the crowd. He opens up his life to them. And then he teaches them. See, Jesus knows that welcoming people isn't enough on its own. It's a great start, but he knows that he needs to teach them. They need to hear from him. They need to see him. They need to see what he's doing. But more than that, they need to hear him teach. Jesus continued teaching about the kingdom of God. It was the same subject the disciples had been sent out to teach on. We even talked about it a little bit this morning during our worship time. And so for us, teaching is important. That's why pretty much most weeks we give a good amount of time to the preaching of God's words. We give a good amount of time to opening up this book and saying, God, what do you have for us today from here? It's not just a five-minute homily or some blessed thoughts, but rather we're taking Scripture and we're saying, God, what are you saying to us from this passage? Most of the time, not always, but probably the majority of the time, we're taking a book of the Bible and preaching our way through it. Do you know why we do that? Two reasons. Firstly, it's a good way of seeing the whole of Scripture as we preach our way through a book. Secondly, it means this. It means preachers, me included, can't just preach from our favourite passages. Because if it's left us to us to come up with what we preach on this week, probably we will revert to type. So I will preach endlessly on Acts 2. And have done, and probably will continue to do so. But, you know, I, I, I typically go back there. Not just because it's a favourite passage, and it is, but because I feel God's spoken to us from it. But <clears throat> I can't do that because I'm working my way through a book. In this case, it's Luke. There'll be other cases when we preach through other books. But it means that actually we're not missing hard subjects. So for a preacher, it's easy to get to a pastor and think, oh boy, I don't want to preach that. That's a bit tricky. I'm not sure I fully understand it. That's a bit challenging. What do I do? Well, I can just skip it. No, I can't. I can get Kevin to preach on it. That's, that's always a good thing to do. But we can't skip it. We say, no, no, we're going to preach through the whole book. We're not going to miss it. We want to see what God has for us, not just from the bits we fully understand and like to preach from in our favourite passages, but from the whole of it. Because God wants to teach us from all of his words. And so we're going to open up ourselves to hearing from him, from the whole of God's words. And Jesus goes on from teaching to healing them. It does link because healing is a great demonstration of really what Jesus has been talking about. He's been talking about the coming kingdom and now he demonstrates the coming kingdom in healing. See, this is what Jesus sent his disciples out to do. Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. What does he do when there's a crowd? Preaches the kingdom of God and heals the sick. It's totally consistent what Jesus did and what he sent his disciples to do and what he sends us to do as well. Totally consistent. I don't want to spend too much time on healing because uh, we've spent a good amount of time looking at this uh, on recent weeks. We've been working our way through uh, this gospel. But let's just say a couple of things. Firstly, when we pray for somebody, 
It's not you who heals, it's God. So God uses us, Jesus commands us to pray for the sick, to heal the sick, but who does it? He does. So who gets the glory? He does. Who are we praying to? It's him. And I know there are challenges when it comes to this subject. I know there are difficulties. There are questions about why doesn't everybody get healed? Why don't we see every prayer answered? And they're tricky questions. And it's difficult. We've seen something of the kingdom of God, but it it hasn't come in all its fullness yet. It will do. But we're, we're tasting something of the kingdom, but not receiving it in its fullness just yet. And not everyone does get healed. And I know that that means that when we pray for somebody, sometimes there are some hard pastoral conversations that follow through afterwards. Understand that. I've had plenty of those. The other option is we can back off and say, well, I'm not going to pray then. But I don't know if that's what God has for us. It's very clear. Scripture is very clear. to not just pray for the sick, but to heal the sick in Jesus' name. So we need to keep going for it. We need to work through the tough conversations, lovingly care for people along the way, but keep pressing in to God and what he has for us, even when it's challenging. I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do know this. God is good all the time. Amen? He really is. He really is. And Jesus has commanded us to heal the sick. And so we shouldn't let our experience shape our theology. Actually, our theology needs to be shaped by this book, by God's word, not just, not, rather, our experience. So let's keep pressing into God. Let's keep asking him. Let's keep saying, Lord, would you? And expecting to see more of him move in power. And then Jesus goes on and he feeds them. Verse 17 says they all ate and were satisfied. I guess this is the part of the story that everybody remembers, isn't it? Feeding of the 5,000, as it's uh, often called. Well, it's certainly called that in the heading. So Jesus has been healing and teaching all day. The crowd have been so engrossed that they've just forgotten about meals. But now they're hungry. Now Luke estimates the crowd at 5,000 men. Matthew adds there were women and children as well, so I think it's quite reasonable to assume the crowd is easily 10, maybe 20,000 people. It's quite a big crowd. So, with this crowd, the disciples try and persuade Jesus to send them away to go buy something to eat somewhere else. But Jesus, helpfully, in verse 13, says, no, no, you feed them. At which point the disciples think, Oh, great. <laughs> now we've got 15,000, 20,000 people. How are we going to do that? <clears throat> How are we going to do that? It's probably what you don't want to hear if you're a disciple, just at that point in time. You're thinking, now what do we do? It's that uh, feeding a crowd of that size would have taken eight months of a man's wage. So work that out. Eight months money just to feed that crowd. Where are the disciples going to get that sort of cash from? How are they going to do it? But the situation changes. The disciples find somebody with five small barley loaves and two small fish. John, in his account, makes it clear they're really small. 
<laughs> just to make us, just to add to the, the difficulty. This is not a large lunch here. This is a small boys packed lunch. And isn't it interesting, the fact that this lad has still got his lunch, having got to this point in the day. I mean, do you remember when you went on school trips? For some of you, that's a long time ago. <laughs> it's for me. You went on school trips, you get on the coach at about nine o'clock, heading off to somewhere, some exciting castle or museum. Probably by ten past nine, you're raging your packed lunch, aren't you? Thinking, time to eat it now. It's certainly not going to last until lunchtime, and certainly not lasting through the day. But this kid, he hasn't eaten it yet. Probably been so engrossed in what Jesus has been saying and doing that he's forgotten about lunch. And so the disciples find him and they come to Jesus and go, well, all we've got, it's not a lot, Lord, you prepared for this, (laughs) all we've got is uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And as we know from John, they're small loaves. It's not looking good. So what happens? Jesus isn't worried about this. doesn't start to panic. He gets his disciples to put the crown into groups of about 50 and sit them down. Administrators love this passage. This is probably the administrator's favourite passage until you have to organise people. We're not going to do that right now, but just refer to it in passing. So Jesus gets the disciples to organise the crowd, sit them into groups of about 50, and then he gives thanks. He thanks God for providing the food that is required. You can probably imagine the disciples at this point going, Lord, have you not seen it? (laughs) It's just there. That's it. There's all these people. But Jesus isn't worried. He prays. He thanks God for his provision. Then he breaks the bread and the fish. And the disciples serve the food. And there's tons of it. Have you thought about how this happened? Just think of it for a moment. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how it happened. But I doubt if it was that Jesus put the food down and as he did so, suddenly there were just piles of it. I suspect it was more like this. I suspect that actually the disciples were, uh, you know, given some bread and some fish. Maybe they put it in a basket or a bag. And, you know, you can imagine them going around and they would start to hand it out. If I was a disciple at this point, the first few people who got anything would get a very small amount. Because I'm thinking, it's not going to go far, but we'll do our best, Lord. Tiny crumb for you on the front row. There's still a bit yeah, <laughs> still a bit left, so we get a little bit more, and they start to go around. And then suddenly they realise, you know what? It's not running out. We've still got food left. And so by this point, you can imagine them becoming quite liberal in their portions, maybe if they were generous, going back to those whom they served first to give them seconds. There was enough. How was there enough? Jesus prayed, the miracle happened, the food was multiplied as it was needed. As they reached into the basket or bag and grabbed a bit of fish and some bread, there was some there. There was what was needed. There was what required. And the the, uh, scripture tells us for not only was there enough to go round, but they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Wonderful, isn't it? 
But have you noticed that this miracle only happened in this way because the disciples played their part. It wasn't that Jesus prayed and woof, there were suddenly these piles of food and the crowd sort of piled in and just grabbed it. No, no, it happened this way as the disciples played their part. As they did their bit in making it happen. And as I was preparing my thoughts on this passage towards the end of last year, as I was looking forward to where we were going, I realised that actually this passage taught us something about serving. Because the disciples played their parts. They had an opportunity to get involved. Jesus was able to use them in what he was doing. And in their case, he asked them literally to serve. and They they literally served the food, didn't they? But you know what? It's true for us as well. The result in this passage was that everyone was fed and the disciples got to be part of an amazing miracle. As we look at serving, then we get to be part of it as well. And we get to be part of the amazing miracle that God calls his church. And it's an amazing miracle because God calls it his church and then says, you're the hope of the world. And through you, I'm going to reach nations. Just as John was talking about a couple of weeks ago. And as he was talking, he was challenging us to get involved, discover what it is that God has for us to do. When people join Jubilee and we do the uh, joining the church course, we, we get to a point where we talk about gifts and talents and abilities and say, what's the contribution that, that you can make? What is it that you want to bring to serve here in Jubilee? And that's the question I want us to ask this morning. What's the contribution that you can make to Jubilee? You see, we're a family. And we're in this together. And it only happens, it only works as we serve one another, as we serve the Lord and love him and seek to be obedient to what he has for us. So what's your contribution? Now, I know that many of you already serve in lots of different ways. And if that's you, then I want to thank you for your contribution. Thank you for serving. Thank you for bringing to church the gift or ability, maybe the passion that God has put in you. Thank you for bringing it to the table. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for taking responsibility. Thank you for playing your part. But maybe for some of you, you haven't yet found what that is. You haven't yet found your place to serve and what it is that God has for you and where he wants you to be. And so this morning I want us to uh, look at those things and for you to consider what that might be. You see, it's by serving that we get to use the gifts that God has given us. It's by serving that we build relationships and make friends with one another. It's by serving that we learn to rely on God and grow in him. Think about the disciples in our passage. Because they played their part, because Jesus involved them in this, they learnt something about God's provision that they would not have learnt if they just stood by and watched. Because they were involved, they learnt something. They didn't have to have Jesus teach them. (laughs) 
They learnt on the job. They learnt that, that when Jesus says, do it like this, and when they're obedient to him, he can be trusted and he's faithful. And only God wants to teach some of us that this morning. I'd love us to build a community that serve. We serve God first. We also serve one another. And as we do that, we also serve those who are looking in and wanting to find out more about what it is to follow Jesus and to love him. And maybe be part of this community that we call Jubilee Church. We've put together a, uh, a leaflet to, to help you with that. David, can we give those out now? Would that be okay? <coughs> that would be really good. And if you're thinking, well, I'm not quite sure where I can serve, what, what it is that I can bring, where, uh, where, I, where you can be plugged in, then this leaflet gives you some information about that. It's not completely exhaustive, but it does give you some idea of what it is that goes on in the life of Jubilee Church. And for those of you who do serve regularly, thank you for all that you're doing. But for some of you, you may find this leaflet helpful because it may give you an opportunity to say, you know what, I could actually get involved in that. I could do this. I could maybe help with that. And so I'm trusting that this will give you some ideas. It may stir you. It may challenge you. And that's okay. Actually, all these teams would be very willing to have other people in them. And it may be for you that you think, well, actually, I could do that. Or I do have a, an interest in that. Or, you know, I could serve there. And I'd love you to bring your gift and your passion, your ability to Jubilee in order that we might serve God together, we might serve one another and serve those who are looking in, wondering about following Jesus, maybe wondering about being part of Jubilee. And so there's some teams on here, <coughs> set up and refreshments. It's a shame Derek isn't here, he's not well this morning, but um, I would have loved to have honoured him and thanked him uh, for all that he does. So often setting up for us, we certainly need some more people in that team to, to help him. Welcome, production, technical team, worship, uh, frog club, our kids work, Christ, youth, students, life groups, smile, alpha. There's other things as well that aren't on here uh, that we're looking at, uh, at doing as well. And some other teams that will happen. There's Love Derby, there's trustees, there's a, a prayer ministry team that we're looking at getting off the ground as well. So it's not totally exhaustive, but this does give you some ideas. And I'm trusting that as it gives you some ideas, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and nudge you about where you might play your part if you're looking to get involved. So I never want any of us to serve out of a sense of guilt, <laughs> thinking, oh, I must do this. No, no. I want God to speak to us, to speak to our hearts, and the Holy Spirit to prompt us and to say, how about here? How about there? And I'm trusting that he'll do that even this morning. See, nothing happens other, by, other than by prayer. And so I'd love us to pray that God will speak to our hearts. And that just as the disciples found that God was faithful 
and provided all that they needed in the moment, that we'll find as well that God is faithful time and again and he'll provide all that we need in the moment that we need it. If we can stand together, please, if the band can come up. <clears throat> if you'd like to get involved in one of these areas, and if you're not yet plugged into a serving team, you know, I'd love for all of us to be serving maybe once a month or so. If you're not plugged into a serving team yet, then if you're not sure who the team leader is that's listed in here, if you come and ask me or David, then we'll happily point you in the right direction and introduce you to the person who can help you. And uh, it may be you just want to find out a bit more, ask some more questions. Well, that's okay. Uh, we can point you in the right direction. You can find out a bit more and ask questions. And I'm praying that God will speak to you uh, and stir your hearts as you do so. So I'm going to pray now. Then Adam's going to lead us in the final song. And uh, we will take up our offering for this morning uh, as we sing and worship the Lord together. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word to us. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that uh, you would speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus, that we truly would be a community that serve, firstly love and serve you, but also love and serve one another and those who are looking in, maybe looking to follow you, find out what it means to, to do that or to be part of Jubilee. Lord, I, I pray that we would build a, a welcoming and friendly and hospitable church that loves you, that really loves and serves one another, that loves those who don't know Jesus yet, that serves the city and reaches nations for you. We ask that you would help us with these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.